This episode is brought to you by scapulars.com. Steve Karekis and his family have a strong devotion to Our Lady and the Brown Scapular, and so they have created strong, super durable, soft, innovative scapulars. You can find out more over at scapulars.com. A purchase of two or more scapulars ships for free. I'm Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. In the past few years, there have been lots of conversations about the state of the church, where the church is headed, what the church is doing, what the Pope is talking about, and why he's talking about certain things. And if you pay attention, there's a trajectory to the way Pope Francis has talked about sharing the faith, how we share the faith with people at the margins, how we share the faith within our own families, how we share the faith inside the church itself how we ourselves are never done being evangelized. There has been a path. And if you've paid attention, you've been able to walk along that path and recognize that at the end of the day, Pope Francis keeps making reference to a key moment in sacred scripture that really captures a lot of what we've been talking about in our Ave Explorers Sharing the Faith series. And that, of course, is the road to Emmaus. Jesus Christ pops out of the bushes and proceeds to walk along a path with two of his disciples headed in the wrong direction. They're headed away from Jerusalem where everything has occurred, probably partially out of fear, maybe a little bit out of uncertainty. They're definitely no longer wanting to stay in Jerusalem, of course, because of the unsettledness of the circumstances, because of their fear that Jesus is ultimately gone. They don't recognize Jesus, by the way. And Jesus asks them what they're talking about. And so they tell him what's been going on. And then Jesus proceeds to hold the best Bible study in the history of the world and go through all of salvation history, essentially teaching them this is why all of this has occurred. They get to where they're going. They stop for dinner. They invite Jesus to stay with them. He accepts the invitation. And as he breaks bread, they recognize him. And something within their hearts is burning. And they realize, in fact, their hearts have been burning with this love of the Lord the entire time, and perhaps they hadn't even noticed it. And so they rush back to Jerusalem to tell everybody what's occurred. Now, from the outside looking in, you read this story and you think, oh, Jesus was, you know, not playing a trick on his disciples, but he was just kind of trying to get some insider information and then he was able to teach them the right thing. But if you look at it as an example and as a model of ministry, of how to share the faith, well, it starts with an encounter. It continues with accompaniment. It lasts because of accepting an invitation to stay. And then it grows because they realize they can turn around and then share something that has changed their lives. Pope Francis has been talking about this since he was elected in 2013. And many of the documents that he has written, the synods that he has called and held, the speeches and presentations and homilies and moments of encounter with people young and old have shown that the, the road to Emmaus and the story of that encounter is at the heart of what we do in sharing the faith. Paul Jarzembowski, one of my dear friends, works at the USCCB and has been part of really implementing Pope Francis's vision, specifically for youth and young adult ministry, in the United States and around the world. Paul and I have worked together for a number of years on a variety of different committees, have, have really worked side by side talking about the logistics and the, the behind the scenes components of youth and young adult ministry in this country. And he offers a really unique perspective in what this is supposed to look like and how this is implemented from both a, a kind of almost a bureaucratic level, but then at the parish level and in the people's lives especially young people's lives that we're sharing the faith with. 
This conversation with Paul is, of course, part of our entire Ave Explorer series. You can get all of the episodes that we've created over at AveMariaPress.com or anywhere you find your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, our articles, our videos, our Instagram live conversations, so many great things available for you for free. And we hope you take advantage of finding those awesome resources and using them and, and implementing some of the skills that people talk about in those pieces. And of course, we'd be grateful if you'd give this podcast a rating and a review. We're always grateful when you share it. For right now, of course, we want you to just sit back and enjoy this conversation with Paul Jarzembowski about accompanying young people and young adults as we share the faith. Well, Paul Jarzembowski, thanks for joining us on Ave Explorers. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm uh, glad to always have a conversation with you, Katie. Yeah, so I have to I have to give credit where credit's due. You were part of the first ever version of Ave Explorers way back in March mm-hmm. of 2018 when we had the pre-synod. That kind of like led to getting you involved with our initial like what is Ave Explorers? Let's try to figure it out. It was articles then we didn't have a podcast yet because of the synod on youth and young adults and young people and ministry in the world and all of that. So tell us who you are and where you are and what you do. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting introduction there, but I'll I'll go with it. Um, so I'm Paul Jarzembowski. My job is to work with at the Bishop's Conference. I work within an office for laity, marriage, family life, and youth. There's a whole lot of things. So the Bishop's Conference, <laughs> big tent, but there are many different offices of the USCCB that do all kinds of different elements of the faith. You know, so there's evangelization, there's education, there's clergy, there's migration, there's, the list goes on and on. You can, anything you can think of that is Catholic, the Bishop's Conference has an office for it. So the Mm -hmm. office that I work in also seems like a very large plate of things, anything related to the laity, lay movements, lay ministers, marriage, family, children, and then youth and young adults. And so the area that I focus a lot of attention on is youth and young adults. So I'm the lead staff at the Bishops' Conference for that area. So anything the U.S. bishops are doing that engage the life of teenagers and young adults, I'm working with them on it. So if it's documentation, if it's initiatives, if it's things like World Youth Day that involves youth and young adults and bishops, if there's a listening process, if other committees are talking about young people and they Mm want to go in that direction with the particular area they're focused on, I'm involved. So that's, in a nutshell, my role is to kind of be the bishop's point person yeah. on all things related to young people. I often call you the chief of staff of Catholic Youth Ministry. Like I think Ooh. of you as, uh, if we're living in West Wing world, like you are the guy who like sends everybody out on their marching orders. And whether people and youth and young adult ministry realize it or not, you're influencing the things that are happening Within the tiny parishes, the big conferences, the summer events, was that always your dream? Like, did you want to work for the USCCB as a kid? Like, how does somebody end up at the Bishop's Conference in Washington, D.C. and work in church bureaucracy? You know, it does kind of start actually at World Youth Day. When I was a young person, I went to a World Youth Day. And so it was my first exposure to a universal church kind of experience and seeing Mm -hmm. a church bigger than just my local parish. And I think I got the bug back then of always wanting to be involved in big church, whether it was national gatherings, diocesan gatherings, or international gatherings, and then having conversations in those larger settings, diocesan, national, and international settings, having those conversations of faith there. So I would always been interested in it. So I had worked in parish work, campus work. I had worked in diocesan work, 
And then, you know, when the opportunity came around to work on the national level, I jumped at the opportunity. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of a history buff. So moving from Chicago to Washington, D.C. was a little bit of a dream of mine uh, yeah. to be about here. So I don't know if one dreams of working at the USCCB, but I certainly <laughs> dreamed of working in big church. I mm-hmm. get to swim in really incredible waters to be at the forefront of leading conversations as it pertains to how the church is approaching young people. Mm -hmm. So how is the church approaching young people? I mean, that right there is the lead. We've talked about evangelization on a parish level. We've talked about evangelization in digital spaces this series. I mean, the thought of, okay, how are we evangelizing Gen Z? How are we preparing to evangelize? Like my daughter's generation, Gen Alpha or COVID kids, as they're going to be called, like, what are we going to do with these children as they grow up in this brave new world? I mean, What is the modus operandi, to use a phrase that I've heard you use before, of evangelizing young people, specifically from the the USCCB's perspective right now? Well, the perspective really, it centers back to Pope Francis and really that synod that you and I had first kind of engaged each other in. The church began global conversations about young people at that time, really thinking, okay, we need to examine how we're approaching young people, the way we've approached, not that it was wrong before, but Mm -hmm. things, generations change, times change. And so therefore our methods and methodology must also adapt to the times and adapt to the young people for which we're serving. So during the synodal process, Pope Francis ended that through an exhortation, Christus Vivit, which we know and love very well as kind of a, almost became a Magna Carta of sorts Mm -hmm. for the field of ministry with youth and young adults. And so that kind of serves as a foundation for how the church wants to approach it. So the U.S. bishops, following the lead of Pope Francis, actually right now are unpacking that and trying to figure out what exactly we're doing to approach young people in this new millennium, in this mm-hmm. new way, in, you know, kind of inspired by what has happened in the church and in the world. And then also through the inspiration of Pope Francis, through Christos Viva and all of his other writings, he does engage young people in all the topics. It's not just ministry with young people is the only time he's talking about young people. He's talking about young people when he's talking about Laudato Si and the environment, when he's talking about Fratelli Tutti and our commitment to the poor and the vulnerable. He's talking about young people when he's talking about the digital stuff. He's talking about Mm -hmm. young people when he's talking about economics. So there's a lot of things where young people are integrated now into more of the conversations. And that's part of the approach is integrating young people now, not just as objects, but as co-protagonists in the church's mission. I love right now that there actually is, there's actually a group of young economists that are working in collaboration with the Vatican on ways in which we can sustain businesses and economic and financial systems in a way that affects justice and the Catholic teaching. He's also gathering young communicators and young people who have skills in social media and in Mm -hmm. digital media and having them work with the church in how to approach the communications that they're doing. So it's not just like, how do we do a nice youth group, but it's how do we integrate young people as protagonists Mm -hmm. in the church's mission within itself and then as it approaches the world. And so That's kind of how we're Mm -hmm. growing into understanding this approach. And we're still trying to understand it and apply it and figure out how old models can move to new models and things like that. Yeah, it's I mean, I remember youth group as a teen and it was show up, sit down, listen, do an activity, watch a video. I mean, whatever it happened to be good, like a good model. It worked like I obviously was evangelized and the faith was shared with me. And then when I was a youth minister, we were starting to shift more into like, okay, like let's enter into social media. and We can invite kids 
by way of Instagram. And then maybe they'll be posting things on Instagram. And so their peers will see it. And it was kind of like in the earliest phases of that. Wait a second. Maybe they can be evangelizing each other. Like we can be the ones who give them the platforms and give them the things to say. And then all of a sudden here comes Pope Francis. And he's like, yeah, that's exactly what we should be doing. Like we should be listening to them. We should be talking with them. We should be asking them what questions they have. We should be bringing them into the conversation with like, what is it that you're actually struggling with? As opposed to just automatically assuming we know. I've loved watching the conference dig into, and and we've, full disclosure, we've been on a bunch of committees together where we've done this work. So I've seen, I've seen that how the sausage gets made, if we're going to use that analogy. The ways that we've tried to integrate the vision specifically of Christus Vivit of let's bring young people into this conversation. Let's engage them with their gifts and talents. Let's be mentors, not just teachers, but actually companion them on the journey. That did not happen in a vacuum. Pope Francis coming up with this model of evangelization with, I mean, I'll use the buzzword of synodality, of of walking alongside of people and companioning people. What's the big buzzword accompaniment that Pope Francis is known for? That happened in a much bigger vision for him. Mm -hmm. What have you seen happening in the past few years of the church? I mean, Pope Francis was elected in 2013. So we've had some time with him and with his mission that is changing some of the conversation around evangelization. Can you kind of map that out for us of what Francis is doing? I know that's a big question and a big ask when it comes to, okay, this is how the church shares the faith. I think part of the conversation on evangelization is inextricably linked to this notion of missionary discipleship. And the fact that evangelization is not a top-down, let me who has some sort of knowledge more than you do share you who have less knowledge and that idea of evangelization and catechesis is not no there's there's wisdom that exists already with the person that we encounter and again there's another buzzword that we encounter them we learn their lives we walk with them and we respect that they also don't just plop into our lives mm-hmm. as empty shells waiting to be filled, that they come with their own story. They come with their perspectives. They even come with insights that maybe they got through just, you know, how they were raised, interactions with the world, with their friends, with family. And so evangelization becomes a dialogue of sorts. Mm. It becomes a sense of walking with people to learn what they bring to the conversation, what we share with them in the conversation, and then how it goes back and forth. It becomes a little more messy, a little more complicated and a little more nuanced than just simply, hey, you don't know much. I know some, let me tell you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's how Pope Francis's approach has been to remind us that we're also all on a journey And even when he's talking about this protagonism, you know, one might say, okay, once we form a young person fully, then they can be a protagonist. And he's saying, no, actually, even when you're not fully formed in a sense, I guess the reality is, is are any of us ever going to be truly right? A hundred percent formed and ready to be sent out. If we were to do that, we would all be waiting until the moment before we died, before we could get out and do the mission. We can't do that. We have to be getting into that mission now, even as incomplete as we are, even as incomplete, for instance, as a young person might be in their full understanding, mm-hmm. we still want them to be a protagonist. We don't just want to say, okay, after you're done with all this education, 
after you're done with all I have to share with you. Mm-hmm. But no, like while you're in process of me having this dialogue with you, I want you to be a leader. I want you to take the reins. I want you to take. Now, are, is it going to be perfect? No, because nothing we do will be perfect. Mm-hmm. And I think so in a way evangelization, I think as Pope Francis sees it is a process. It's synodal. Part of the reason why synodality, I think, comes about is, you know, Pope Francis sees that the message of Vatican II, the language that Vatican II gave us, is that we are a pilgrim church. Mm -hmm. And I think there's that term there. Like, do we really understand what being a pilgrim church means? It means that we are constantly moving. We are constantly growing and journeying towards something. But often our churches become very static, very stated. They we build the wall around it and we stay where we're at, but rather we're supposed to be constantly in movement in kind of getting comfortable with discomfort. And where mm. are we in those comfort zones? Oh, no, move beyond that. And I think synodality is, is just that way of being a pilgrim church. Yeah. It means that we're never quite settled. And I think that has a lot to do with evangelization, that yeah. it's, it's going to be ebbs and flows. I hope you are enjoying this conversation with Paul Jarzembowski from the USCCB about Pope Francis's vision for sharing the faith. You know, we wanted to tell you that this episode is brought to you by Hallow, the number one Catholic app for prayer, meditation, music, and more. I love the Hallow app. I use it every single day. It's an amazing resource for any Christian who wants to dive deeper into their prayer life. It features rosaries. Lexio Divina examines my favorite, the Bible stories that are read by some of the people that you know, Father Mike Schmitz, Jonathan Rumi, Dr. Scott Hahn, and yours truly. I wanted to invite you to join me in the Hallows Pray 25 Challenge this Advent. As we are journeying to the manger in Bethlehem with Mary, we're thinking about, of course, the themes of Advent, hope, faith, and joy. If you pray with Hallow, it's a great way to bring this peace into your life during what's often a very chaotic season. So download the Hallow app and get access to more than 3,000 audio guided meditations. Click on over to hallow.com slash Ave Explorers to learn more. All right. Back to the conversation with Paul. I hope that you are enjoying it. I love that idea of constantly moving because evangelization is never stale. It's not stagnant. It's not, okay, yeah, this is what the church teaches. And then we move on past it. Like you can fully know what the church teaches and still be digging into what does that look like in my life every single day? What does that look like when I have to make big decisions in my discernment? What, What does it look like when I'm disciplining my child or when I'm, I'm making a decision about this particular friendship? I mean, evangelization is never stagnant. Walking along the path of faith is never stagnant. Discipleship should never be a stagnant thing. Why do you think people struggle with that then? Like, why do people get so resistant to this idea of synodality or they they bristle when they hear the concept of the church is always moving? I mean, some people would rather the church just kind of stay in the box that they've placed it in. Why, why do people struggle with that? Well, I'm sympathetic to people in the fact that most people's lives are in motion and they mm-hmm. are moving. And I think that there is this strong desire for people to see things like the church as a moment of rest. And it is a moment of rest, but I think that it becomes like, I want something not moving because the rest of my life is in motion. And so this image, and and it's true, we have the image of the church as the rock and it is a rock, but the downside to clinging to the image too much is that, yeah, a rock never moves. Mm -hmm. uh, And yet it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be a pilgrim experience. So how can that rock, maybe it's the rolling rock we need to, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we need to be clinging to. I think there is a desire for that stability. And I get that. That is a completely, you know, especially when our lives are in tumult, we need something solid that we can hold on to. Church is also about forming relationships, forming community. 
And we sometimes really enjoy the community we're with and we don't really need to like, like we're comfortable there. It's we've established friendships that give us life. Motion requires that I have to continue finding new people to meet and I can't just settle with the people I really enjoy being alongside. So the resistance perhaps is just like this frustration that the rest of the world's in motion. Why should my church be in motion too? That could be a little bit of it. I, yeah. I don't think people resist it because they dislike being a pilgrim church or they right. dislike growing with somebody. But I think there is a human factor in the fact that we need rest. Mm-hmm. And so we have to live in the tension of how do we offer, especially young people, how do we offer young people that image of rest? Like Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy burden, I will give you rest. How do we offer that and provide a safe haven for people to feel the loving arm of Christ in their mm-hmm. lives? Mm-hmm. but not feel like they they're going to rest forever. And that, mm-hmm. you know, that there is this, uh, our hearts are restless till they rest in you kind of theology of, of kind of always being restless for God and always being restless for engaging others. So mm-hmm. we have to live in the tension of figuring out how we do a little bit of both. How do we offer yeah. the rest, but also how do we keep moving? Yeah. I mean, I love that image of I'm at rest because it's home. And so I, right. at home I'm able to rest, but home is also where I get ready to go back out into the world, right? Like if I, I mean, I could be a homebody, I could stay there forever. And there's this beautiful image of in Christus Vivit where Pope Francis talks about this. Like we want the church to be a place where young people can feel as if they belong, as if they are not comfortable is not the word because the church can sometimes be a place of discomfort. I mean, yes, I, I feel at home, but also sometimes the church really challenges me and says, no, like you can't do this or you need to do that. And what I can't do is something I want to do. And what I'm expected to do is something really hard and challenging. But it's in a home where I am prepared to be able to step into the world and be my full authentic self and to give witness to Jesus Christ. We've asked this question kind of intermittently throughout the season, Paul. Everybody that's come on has really been offering insights into, okay, this is my question. This is how evangelization is happening in my sphere of influence. And everybody that works in church ministry or everybody that has a deep relationship with Jesus was usually evangelized by somebody. They, they experienced a sharing of the faith. Who did that for you? When did that happen in your own life? Not just from the professional side, but like in your own walk with Jesus, who really shared the faith with you in a dynamic way? Well, and I have to go back to that image of the World Youth Days being somewhat inspirational for me. And when I was younger, the diocesan church, meeting people from different corners of my diocese. Mm -hmm. And then when I went to national conferences, meeting people from different parts of the world, different leaders, different companions, different peers. And so for me, it was the ever widening circle of what meant to be church. Mm. Every time I felt a growth spurt in my faith, and I continue to feel it, like like I'm not fully evangelized. I have, mm-hmm. I, and I don't know if I ever will be. I'm always growing and learning from others. And every time I have yet another way in which my church expands even farther and farther, for me has been a moment that's enriched me. So as I said, I'm drawn to the universal understanding of church. And so, and part of that is because for me, the more I met people that were different from me, different cultures, different countries, different experiences of faith, different ecclesial and political affiliations, all those things. Every time I met someone who was who had a perspective that was unique from me, I sometimes at first as a human, I resisted it because I like the perspective I'm bringing into it. I don't mm-hmm. want to be challenged. I don't want to be, you know, a new person that has a different understanding or outlook is 
different for me and I have to adjust to that. But over time, as I really pray with it, they enrich me, they make Mm -hmm. me grow. So my story is one where I continually meet new people that continually keep drawing me further into the mystery. And I love the fact that my network now working on a national level is so broad and I'm continually being challenged. Yeah. I mean, there's many nuanced and complicated stories, but it really began with World Youth Day in the sense that I got to get outside of myself. Mm-hmm. I got to get outside of my own opinions, my own thoughts, my own neighborhood, see a world bigger than me. And when I saw that, I fell in love with the universal church. Mm-hmm. And that's been my driving factor ever since. Yeah. It's a beautiful image of the church is very particular for individual people, but then it's also big. And and being able to see that bigness, being able to go anywhere in the world and know what's going to happen in mass or, or be able to encounter somebody and you see a rosary in their hand and you think, oh, I know what that is. Like that encounter of familiarity wherever you happen to be. I think evangelization, a lot of times people just assume it's this formalized thing of like, okay, tell somebody this is what the right. church teaches about the Eucharist. And in reality, it's a lot of just like little tiny, subtle moments of witness. And I, I think, I mean, Christus Vivit captures that really well. Fratelli Tutti captures that really well. What Pope Francis is wanting is people to have that missionary spirit of, I'm willing to talk about the faith with whomever, wherever, whatever the circumstances happen to be, because it's something that I care about. It's someone that I love. It can still be really challenging, right? People sometimes don't have the right words, or they maybe are worried that scandals might make people think less of the church. The question we've asked everybody to kind of wrap up our conversations is, What's the starting point? Somebody who listens to this and maybe they've gone to World Youth Day and now they've got a couple of kids in their home and like World Youth Day is far off their list of things that they'll ever be able to do anytime soon. Or, you know, maybe NCYC is on their list and they're going to bring young people to that. Or, or they just they go to mass every Sunday and they love Jesus and they want to be a better evangelist. They want to share the faith more. What's your step one? How can they start doing that? Well, While everyone's journey isn't necessarily the same as mine, I do offer a little bit of it that might be helpful. Always challenge yourself to see someone who experiences, thinks about church differently than your local or lived experience. You know, always keep finding someone. I'm not saying everyone you're that one would meet would be like, oh my God, they're my new best Catholic friend. <laughs> but to at least introduce yourself in a sense of of humble listening, of awe and wonder of what might be around the next corner, recognize and be sympathetic that the way someone else experiences faith, experiences life, even if it looks a little different, is incredibly valuable to enrich my own faith. I've been recently engaged, the U.S. bishops have engaged young people in a process inspired by Christus Vivit. It's called journeying together, which also is the language in the synodal documents to describe what synodality is. But the bishops chose that phraseology because it really encapsulates what we're encouraged to do. And and we're doing this in an intercultural perspective of really Mm -hmm learning from another culture. So I come from a European American perspective, but I have been enriched by learning how my peers and how young people of Hispanic Latino heritage express their faith of the African American community expresses their faith, the Asian Pacific Island, Native Native American spirituality, how that integrates and learning from all these different communities has been for me an incredibly enriching experience. I've been in working in the church for two decades and what some of the young people have expressed through their cultural heritage of how they came to learn and know Jesus through their culture has been inspiring for me. And it's made me think about my own journey, about my own story, about my own shortcomings and maybe my own 
participation in any sort of negative experience that they mm-hmm. may have experienced with church because of my culture. So that's helped me grow. And so it's, again, stepping outside of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that, you know, we all are aware that in social media, especially in, even in Catholic circles, it can often be an echo chamber because we're, we're surrounded by people who just think like ourselves and mm-hmm. we, we like the things that think like us and we don't like the things and we complain about the things of people who don't. Instead of approaching it with a sense of humility and saying, maybe somebody who's challenging me is not wrong. Maybe, maybe they're just simply offering me another way to look at things mm-hmm. and that humble acceptance that God is going to put into our paths, even people who we don't, we may not even like or know or care, you know, but yet when we get outside of our own selves, God has so much to offer. God, Mm -hmm. you know, creation is diverse and God delights in diversity. And so when we see a diverse way of approaching the world, we should delight in it. We should Mm -hmm. be humble before it rather than resist it and say, no, 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 the way I know it's been, it has to be. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're right. Maybe we're wrong. Uh, And I think that approaching the world. That yeah. to me is evangelization because I think it truly it speaks in Evangelii Gaudium about what accompaniment means is to take off our sandals before the sacred ground of another. Mm-hmm. Even if that other doesn't think or act or look or speak the same way I do. Mm-hmm. And that humility before the other is I think essential. And that's where I think evangelization really can take root mm-hmm. because then we have, we aren't in a, up, a top down situation. We aren't in a I'm here to tell you everything you're doing wrong, but, but rather I'm in a situation where I humbly look upon the sacred ground you stand upon and I see the face of Christ in you. So, and I, I can approach you in a humble manner in sharing the truth and, and hearing what you have to say as well. I mean, that posture of listening is God listens to us. Why shouldn't we listen to one another? Where can we follow you? Where can we read your writings? Where can we learn more about the awesome work that you do? The usccb.org is generally, you know, I mean, I know that's the bishop stuff, but chances are you'll find something that we're doing. But if you specifically click on the youth and young adult ministry pages, just search for youth or young adults and you'll find some of the stuff that we're working on. I'm on Twitter at Paul.Jarzembowski. For those who are interested in World Youth Day, uh, WYDUSA on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, WYDUSA is kind of our our handle on that. So awesome. Well, we'll link all of that in the show notes. And you have a you have a podcast, not about church stuff. It's a Disney podcast, but tell us real quick the name of that podcast. Folks can go find it. Sure. It's this happy podcast focused on really a bunch of guys that we have a love of Disney. And so it makes us happy and we want to help people find what where they can find their happy plays, especially if it does relate to Disney and uh, share just a little bit of joy in something that's of, you know, something that we personally find, uh, in, you know, happiness in. And that's, you know, it's fun. It's fun. I love fun. it. We're taking a Disney trip in April. So we've been listening to get ourselves ready and excited. So Paul, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate it. It's great. Thank you for having me. You know, one of the things that I know Paul best for is his love of Disney. And this is going to sound kind of strange for a second. I know Paul loves Disney. He and his wife visit Disney World quite frequently. I believe they're part of the Vacation Club. He has a podcast, in fact, about Disney and the things that he loves about Disney with a couple of his friends who actually work for the church. And I know this about Paul because he shares it, because he loves Disney stuff. He loves Mickey Mouse. He loves the history of how Disney World was founded. He loves the whimsy, and it makes him happy, and so he shares about it. I also know that Paul loves Jesus and he loves his church and he loves serving his church in the unique ways that he's been able to over the years because Paul shares that too. 
because you share things that make you happy and you share things that you love. And in a really unique way, that's what we are all called to do. The things I love, the people I love, the church that I love, I want to talk about that. And I want you to talk about that. And I want all of us to be able to share the faith in the unique places and spaces that we find ourselves. And so this whole series was really trying to dig into where people are doing that, how people are doing that, sometimes what's hard about doing that, most importantly, why it's worth doing, and why the love of Jesus Christ, which should animate all of us, is worth sharing. Everything we've created in this Ave Explores Sharing the Faith series is over at AveMariaPress.com. Please go click over there and find all this great stuff. Share it with your friends. Print it out. Read it. Listen to the podcasts again. Go find the Instagram lives on our Facebook, our YouTube page, our Vimeo pages over on our Instagram, of course. We created so many awesome things for you to help you continue sharing the faith in the places that you find yourself. Now, don't worry, Ave Explores is of course not going anywhere. We actually have, in just a couple of weeks, a brand new mini-series beginning for Advent. Father John Burns wrote an incredible Advent-guided journal for prayer and meditation, and it's illustrated by Valerie Delgado, who runs the very popular Instagram account, Pax.Valerie. She's an incredible artist with amazing things, and she illustrated this book alongside Father John's incredible meditation that he offers and then these questions that he gives us to really ponder and walk through Advent in a particular and unique way every single day of the Advent season. And so we sit down with four incredible people, Sister Miriam James Heidland, Heather Kim, Sarah Swafford, and of course, Father John Burns, and we dig into the themes of Advent that Father John walks us through. We talk about hope in the Advent season. We talk about how they themselves love to celebrate Advent. I think you will love that series. It's going to be right here on your podcast feed. So if you're listening to this show right now, just make sure you're subscribed and you won't miss any of our awesome Ave Explores Advent miniseries episodes. And we will also be doing a special Instagram live every single week starting Monday, November 29th with Valerie Delgado, the illustrator of this book, will be sitting down with us to talk about her inspiration, how she how she finds what she wants to draw, the ways that the Lord and Scripture and Father John's words helped her in creating all this beautiful art. And she'll be guiding us through a color-by-number activity there live on Instagram. So it's really an opportunity and a chance to pray together. Follow Ave Maria Press on Instagram in order to be able to, to watch all of those awesome things. We can't wait for you to join us then. Listen to the podcast for Advent. Watch the Instagram lives. Go grab a copy of Adore over on Ave Maria Press's website. If you order it today, you'll hopefully get it in time. Use code AEXADORE for a discount. Most importantly, know that we are so grateful that you journeyed with us through this series on sharing the faith. Again, grateful for a rating and a review if you liked what you heard and tell other people about it. And we can't wait to be with you in just a couple of weeks to kick off our Advent mini-series. Thanks so much for listening with us today. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com. We're grateful to our sponsor, Scapulars.com. Their scapulars are innovative, soft. They're made from incredible Australian merino wool. If you buy two or more, they ship for free. And for every individual scapular purchased on the site, they give one away for free to an elderly person who needs it. So visit scapulars.com, our sponsor, for today's episode.